This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Tuesday afternoon, August the 23rd, 2022. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BOL. And we're going to reconnect with a great friend of the podcast, Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for us there at 247sports.com. We've got a myriad of topics we're going to get into with Chris not only as they relate to the 2022 edition of the Alabama Crimson Tide, but some opponents beyond just Alabama. We're going to get into some quarterback situations around the SEC West. It'll certainly impact matchups between Alabama and those teams. And look, Chris Hummer's also in Austin, Texas. So, Chris, before you know it, the old fan base to the east is going to be loaded up and headed your way for that matchup on September the 10th with the Texas Longhorns. We may have to go sort of Chris Bourdain, um, parts <laughs> unknown a little bit with you here to get some suggestions on dining. I don't know if there's anything at this point that can be done from a lodging perspective, uh, especially where the prices are concerned for that weekend. But Chris, uh, a lot of fun with you here on the podcast and always glad to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lots of parts unknown in Austin in terms of food, man. Like it is anybody coming out here is is lucky. I, I recommend stuffing your face with as many bar as much barbecue and tacos as you can. It's a it's a great city for it. All right, Franklin's. Uh, we've all heard of Franklin Barbecue, and and it's obviously great. I've been to Austin once before. I did not have that barbecue. I had a little barbecue, which I found to be very good. That's an unsolicited plug right out the gate for Austin barbecue. <laughs> um, but if if you can have one one slice of brisket, let's say in Austin, Texas, where are you getting it from? Oh, I mean, it, it's honestly still Franklin's. But if you're looking to not wait quite as long, um, you have some options as well. But Franklin's for brisket is still goaded in the city, in my opinion. It's it's an experience all to itself. Um, you have to wait four or five hours, as people know. But honestly, like I still remember the first time I ate Franklin's. It was that. It was that unbelievable. So wow, still Franklin's. Yeah, that sounds good. What about a, you mentioned tacos? Uh, where do I got to get one of those from? I mean, there's so many places. Honestly, if you want to combine barbecue and tacos for the people at home, there's this place called Valentino's um, Barbecue. Um, they do a really, really good brisket taco. Um, it's like one of the probably like five or six best briskets purely in town, but they also put it in taco form. So I highly, highly recommend that. It's on the south side of Austin. A bit of a drive if you're staying downtown, but totally, totally worth it. And the lines aren't quite as long as you'll get at some of the other places. So that that's a good option for people that want to do both. Still a very strong food truck presence, I would guess, in Austin these days. Is that correct? Yeah, 100%. You can find them everywhere. A lot of the best food trucks are actually opening brick-and-mortar places, but um, some of my favorite barbecue places are still food trucks for sure. There's like this place called Lelor and Lewis. It's on the south side of town. It's in this beer garden slash coffee place. Um, they do some amazing like new-age uh, barbecue. I, 
I could go, I could talk about this forever, but like, yeah, it's a great, great food truck scene, every kind of food you could want for the most part. So you're not going to go hungry in Austin. What will Friday night be like, I guess, in downtown Austin, would you guess? Will Sixth Street be just totally unhinged? <laughs> It'll be pretty busy. Uh, college is back in town. Um, all the UT students are there. So Dirty Six, as it's known, will be uh, will be quite crazy. Um, for those who, hasn't, those who haven't been, I would describe it as like, you know, like uh, at Mardi Gras or what's that? It's Bourbon Street in New Orleans. That Absolutely. Long it's about a fourth of Bourbon Street, but just as dense. They shut down the road uh, for about four or five blocks and every bar will be packed that weekend. It's going to be it's going to be crazy. There are different pockets of Austin, too. you got like Rainy Street, which is another downtown area where a bunch of bars are going to be super busy, a little more upscale, but it's going to be pretty wild. I'm guessing live music won't be difficult to access either. <laughs> no, there's a lot of live music. If you want live mu- music, I don't really recommend Dirty Six. There's not a lot of that, but there's plenty of bars in the area where if you go around, you're gonna you're gonna find a band somewhere. It's not hard. And I already checked, by the way. Austin City Limits doesn't start taping for another season until October 1st, so we're gonna miss it by about three weeks. If we uh, wanted to maybe take some of that in. Unfortunately, um, but. You, there's going to be plenty of bands in town no matter what. Like, this is it's going to be a really weird intersection because you're going to have an additional probably like fifty, sixty thousand people in town for the football game. There's always concerts. You're talking like twenty or thirty in town for that probably, together with all the venues and all of those people are going to mix together. Um, so it'll be fun. Austin's such a preferred destination these days. How has that impacted cost of living there? I got to think it's California-like, <laughs> right? I mean. Uh, where are we at on that with with Austin, Texas these days? Whenever Nick Saban wants to retire, if he wants to go house hunting in Austin, he's pretty much the only person that can afford it at this point, I think, after his new contract. Um, it's pretty crazy. During the pandemic, houses were going like 60, 70, 80 over asking. And like sometimes those bids wouldn't even be enough to get you close. I was talking to somebody the other day that bid 120 over asking uh, for about a half a million dollar home and they didn't come close to actually getting it. They lost it to somebody who came in late with a cash in hand offer close to $200,000 over asking. Wow. So it got, it got really crazy. So it's, it's not quite that bad anymore, thankfully, especially as somebody looking for a house pretty soon, but um, it's, it's pretty pricey. Thank goodness for NIL, right? The poor Texas football <laughs> players, they wouldn't be able to afford to live within the city limits. It sounds like in Austin, Texas these days. Yeah, you know, historically, those Texas football players really hurt for benefits uh-huh. to leave. Yeah. So um, I'm sure it would have been a struggle for them without this tonight. <laughs> oh, and you said it. Nick Saban with the huge contract extension earlier on Tuesday as it was approved by the University of Alabama Board of Trustees. And based on the terms of the contract anyway, Chris Summer, looks like Nick Saban, if he wants to, and we know this, he can coach as long as he wants anywhere he wants, but specifically at Alabama, be around 79 years old at the end of this latest contract extension. If I told you, if I gave you an over under of say 78 and a half years old for Nick Saban at a time and point where he would hang it up, uh, would you go over or under that? That is, that's a tough question. I would, 
I think I might lean slightly under. If he's 70 now, I would think like six or seven more years. Although I've always thought with Nick Saban, what the hell is the guy going to do otherwise? You know what I mean? Like he's That's what he says. Yeah. He's a person that eats, breathes, and lives football. And if he's still going to be at the top of the game in five or six years, why stop early? I feel like the only thing that might stop it is some of the other stuff we're seeing in the sport, like the changes in terms of um, compensation for athletes and transfer portal and everything else. But Nick Saban seems to be navigating those waters fine as it is. So, I mean, if he's going to keep winning, why not keep coaching? I think if there's bad news for opponents who are thinking along those very reasonable lines that you just put out there, it's that my understanding is that Nick Saban were the collective uh, for Alabama and, and NIL and those things in terms of its continued development and growth moving forward here of late, he has been very involved in those discussions and formulating a plan going forward for Alabama's NIL collective. So that's not exactly music to, uh, to other teams and, and probably coaches ears. Speaking of ears, well, yours anyway, <laughs> what about the Texas quarterback situation? You probably haven't experienced a segue like that one, I'm guessing. I, I could not, Travis. This is why you're leading the podcast, man. <laughs> I, if you would have asked me to segue like that, I would have had no shot. That was, that was impressive. Try to keep it with Texas and ears and yours. Um, Quinn gets the nod as the starting quarterback for the Texas Longhorns. Uh, Hudson Card, I guess, in that mix as well. We had seen some of him a year ago in year one under Steve Sarkeesian there in Austin. Um, ultimately, what, in your opinion, did this come down to, and what was your level of surprise, if any? Um, maybe mildly surprised at most. From the moment that Quinn stepped on campus, he was going to be the starting quarterback here. Um, I don't want to say it was guaranteed when he transferred in, but I think I think there's Quinn picked Texas for a reason, and he didn't pick Texas to sit. I'll put it that way. Um, I think if there was any surprise, it's because Hudson Card had been getting a lot of first-team reps leading into that, and I thought it would at least push to the second scrimmage of the offseason, or the second scrimmage of fall camp, which was going to be um, last Saturday. But Steve Sarkeesian announced it in a surprising fashion, and I think he ultimately got the job because his ceiling is higher. Um, I think there will be some growing pains for Quinn Ewers early. I think he might throw a few too many interceptions for Texas fans liking early on. He's got some gunswinging qualities to him. But if you talk about the long-term trajectory of Texas, you talk about a team that I think at least heading into 2023 has the baseline talent to make the college football playoff and to make a run. You need Quinn Ewers to start now to kind of build that program up. And I think for both the short and the long term, it made more sense to get the Quinn Ewers era started right away as opposed to waiting until week three, week four, midseason, what have you. So I think he won out for a variety of reasons, but ultimately it's because he is the building block for the program. Yeah, you know, you open with ULM if you're Texas, and obviously you get Alabama week two. When I look at Texas this season, give me your thoughts on this. I think of the season really opening for this Texas team in week three when UTSA comes to town after the Alabama visit. Now, maybe Texas will... It was sort of shocked the world and beat Alabama in week two <laughs> and, and be two and O going into that UTSA game on September the 17th. But from my vantage point, anyway, I'm thinking of it as, okay, you get yours in there. If you go one and one, you split those first two games, 
Then you get to week three and a UTSA team that was very good last year, by the way. I think some people maybe laugh a little bit when they hear that uh, about a starting point for a season. But that's what I see for this Texas team. And by that point, yours should be at a point where you know, you're able to take care of business against opponents that a year ago or even in previous years haven't been slam dunks for Texas, even when they are playing at home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know some Texas fans probably would disagree with me, but in my opinion, a dream start for Texas is four and one. You play Bama somewhat close and then you beat UTSA, you beat Texas Tech and you beat West Virginia heading into the Oklahoma game on October 8th. If Texas can be there, I think Texas is in position to at least push for a opportunity to play for a Big 12 championship later that year. But as you said, that can be a really squirrely stretch. UTSA is good. I don't know how UTSA, UTSA is going to stop Texas, but I also don't really know how Texas is going to stop UTSA. Um, and that might sound funny to Alabama fans, but Texas has a lot of issues on every level of the defense, frankly. Uh, up front, it's the pass rush. Um, Texas has little to no experience off the edge, and it's unclear who's going to provide that pressure. Um, Texas's linebackers haven't tackled well in recent years and Texas's corners, frankly, have not covered particularly well in recent years. Um, so those groups really need to coalesce. Otherwise, everybody in that slate, including West Virginia, is capable of beating Texas and including UTSA. So that'll be interesting. I think Quinn definitely needs to take care of the football, but the concern for Texas is more on the defensive side of the ball and handling business against those three programs after Alabama than it is anything else. Yeah, you look at this Texas team, big-time Alabama influence, as we know, not just with the coaching staff, starting with Sark and extending there to his assistants, um, but personnel-wise, although it, it obviously hasn't been the start to the UT stint for Ajay a Hall that, that either of those parties, I'm guessing, would have hoped for. Uh, Jalil Billingsley, I guess, uh, a possibility on offense for Texas, and, and Keelan Robinson as well. Yeah, um, I would probably argue out of that group that Keelan Robinson, um, at least offensively, has the biggest potential impact this year. Um, that running back room for Texas is obviously stacked. Um, Roshan Johnson's behind B. John Robinson, and they're one of the probably like the five best one-two combinations in the country at running back. But Keelan's a guy who can be used in a variety of ways, and we saw that at times last year when he broke off really big gains that changed football games for Texas. Um, so I think he'll be productive. Um, Jalil is, um, is an interesting piece. I, I think, I think the reviews on him have certainly been mixed so far. Um, he obviously had some issues um, with Alabama last year, uh, work ethic wise. I know he was in the doghouse uh, with Nick Saban. I don't think he's been perfect at Texas either. I'll be very curious to see where he stacks up the first couple of weeks of the season um, for Texas on that depth chart. But um, either way, like he adds to what is a pretty deep tight end room. So there are a lot of pieces from Alabama that will contribute to Texas this year. But I think I think Robinson, at least for that Alabama game, probably has the best chance of making a big impact. Yeah, not to turn this into a Texas Alabama preview like three weeks before the game. Uh, I think I've kind of done that to this point, but I did want to talk to you about some other situations involving Alabama opponents, specifically the quarterback situation. And man, you just look around the SEC West and the impact of transfers, even within the league, transferring from one program to the other. Uh, still some unsettled situations. I think the decision by Miles Brennan to go ahead and call it a career at LSU 
led to some connecting of dots there with Jaden Daniels coming in from Arizona State. But I think we might be in agreement that there's still some things to sort out there at the quarterback position in Baton Rouge. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately Jaden will start the season as the starting quarterback for LSU. I think the better question for LSU is, will he finish it? Um, Garrett Nussmeyer, who I've seen in person several times, like from just a natural arm talent standpoint, is one of the most impressive players you'll see on air. Um, I actually saw him at the Manning Academy earlier this year. Um, he was there for a day um, throwing, and he he's lights out um, in terms of those natural tools and that skill set. And if Jaden isn't better, and Jaden really, since his true freshman year, hasn't been the player that we all expected him to be, I think Garrett will take that job from him pretty quickly. Um, but in the short term, I think Jaden, because of his experience, is probably going to be the guy for LSU. I would be surprised if it wasn't Jaden Daniels week one against Florida State, even though I do expect Garrett Nussmeyer to play some. But I think that's a battle that is not going to stop um, once the starters announce. I think we'll see it throughout the season. When I think of Brian Kelly offenses, I think what from the quarterback position efficiency, right? First and foremost. And granted, I haven't watched every snap of Jaden Daniels college career from his time at Arizona State, but I just never got that sense from him uh, in the in the way he plays. Now, athletically, he's going to bring some things to that mix that are certainly attractive. But going to ask you about a couple other spots uh, real quick here in the SEC West where it comes to quarterbacks. Uh, Ole Miss, Luke Altmeyer or Jackson Dart in week one? You know, it's funny. If you asked me this at the beginning of fall camp, I think I would have probably leaned towards Luke Altmeyer. Um, Jackson Dart had a really, I wouldn't say difficult spring, but he had a rough spring in a lot of ways. But I think that battle is flipped um, during fall camp. Jackson Dart's been great um, based on everything I've heard. He is the higher ceiling of the two quarterbacks, too. Um, there's a reason why they took him from USC uh, to push Luke Altmaier for that spot. And I, I think it'll probably be Jackson um, as a starting quarterback, which ultimately is probably best for Ole Miss and their offensive ceiling because he can do things that very few quarterbacks can, both from an athletic standpoint and his ability to kind of create um, out of structure. He's just one of those quarterbacks who has an insane feel um, for those situations. So I, I think it'll ultimately end up being Jackson Dart. Texas A&M, of course, pays a visit to Tuscaloosa. You've probably heard that by now. Uh, A&M and Alabama on October the 8th. So Max Johnson, Haynes King. And what about the potential for Connor Wiegman? Maybe more at some other point down the road in the 2022 season. Yeah, I think with Connor, it's a similar situation to Garrett Nussmeyer. I don't expect him to be the starter week one, but I think if Max Johnson and or um, I'm sorry, I'm totally blanking. Haynes King um, struggle. I think Connor will get every chance to have that job. As for who gets the first crack, I expect it to be Haynes King. Um, Jimbo Fisher loves Haynes King. I, I, I've always heard that like he just adores Haynes. Like He's the son of a football coach, a very notable football coach in East Texas, by the way. John King, um, who's the president of the Texas High School Football Coaches Association. And Haynes brings an element to A&M's offense with his athletic ability. He's like a sub four or five guy um, in the 40 that no other quarterback on the roster does. And I think Jimbo's infatuated with that and both and Haynes's kind of mindset for the game. Um, he is he's very similar to Jimbo in that way. They're both fiery competitors. Um, 
I, I do expect it to be Haynes. I, I'm rambling a little bit. I'm sorry. I do expect it to be Haynes to start the year, but I do, given the depth in that room and the amount of arms kind of waiting for a shot, if Haynes struggles, I think we could see multiple quarterbacks for AM this year. How about uh, Auburn? Is it sounds like anyway, it's TJ Finley uh, at the top of that list right now, but Zach Calzada comes in from Texas A&M. Um, you know, you've got another transfer, a previous transfer, and Robbie Ashford in that mix uh, from Oregon. What do you anticipate there for the Tigers, especially by the time Penn State pays a visit there, uh, kind of mid-September-ish uh, to the Plains? I think it'll be I think it'll be TJ Finley. Um, they've got three transfer quarterbacks in there, obviously, all of them with varying varying concerns and issues. But as of now, I'm I'm hearing TJ Finley uh, for that job. Um, whether it'll stay that way all year, I don't know. But I, I think TJ Finley will start the year at least for sure. Interesting stuff around the SEC West where the quarterback position is concerned. I guess if you're Arkansas and Alabama and Mississippi State, you feel pretty good about that situation because you've got some other teams, obviously, uh, in the division that still trying to work through some issues and some competitions. A lot of talent, though, uh, at the position. I, I know you're, though, you're not all that high on on the quarterback position in the West in general. Yeah, those four schools we were just talking about, or I guess three schools, um, I think could struggle to find their guy. I think there's a lot of high-end talent in those rooms, but a lot of it's younger. And I think it's going to really affect teams like AM and Auburn and potentially even LSU earlier this year for what should be pretty explosive offenses. But as you said, I, I really like KJ Jefferson. I think Arkansas is going to put up a lot of numbers this year passing. Uh, Will Rogers, I think, is probably going to break every passing record in Mississippi State history. And I don't think enough people are talking about Mississippi State. I think Mississippi State's a probably a likely top 25 team by the end of the year. I think they'll be pretty good. Um, but I think this is a really good year to be Alabama. I think Alabama is pretty clearly the best team in the West. They pretty clearly have the best quarterback in the West and probably the country. So um, I think this is a great opportunity for Alabama to have uh, maybe a potentially a little easier road through the West than they ha- would have had in previous years. You know, Chris, part of the reason why one of the many reasons why we wanted to have you on the podcast is because we exist sort of in this vacuum when it comes to covering Alabama and the narrative continues to be Alabama overwhelmingly the favorite to win the college football playoff national championship in 2022. Um, From your perspective outside the vacuum, do you see it that way with this Alabama team? And is there a specific area where maybe you're given pause a little bit when it comes to what feels like anyway inside the vacuum and dealing with the fan base and uh, everything that comes with that. It's this runaway sort of uh, thought that it's Alabama and everybody else for the upcoming season. Yeah, I wouldn't say Alabama and everybody else. I would say Alabama, Ohio State and everybody else. I feel very strongly about that. I really think this is a year where only two teams can win the national championship. Perhaps like Georgia surprises me, maybe Clemson surprises me if DJ turns around. But I think it's Alabama and Ohio State as the best two teams in the country without much question. Um, I would probably pick Alabama head to head against Ohio State right now. But I do think Ohio State, given the offense it returns, is right there with Alabama's 1A, 1B. 
As for what concerns me about Alabama, I, I would look at two things. Um, I guess I'm cheating a little bit. One is the offensive line, but I've heard better things about the offensive line this fall than maybe I was hearing in the spring. Um, so that's that's a really big positive for Alabama. If that offensive line can be better, it opens up so much for the offense, makes Bryce Young's job in, so much easier. And also you don't probably have to lean on Jameer Gibbs um, to bail you out as a pass catcher in those situations as much either in those situations because Bryce is trying to dump the ball out quickly. But I also, like, I do have a little bit of concern about the cornerbacks for Alabama. And I, I don't think there's... I don't think there's much in the way of a test for Alabama's corners this year, um, at least a significant test until you get to the college football playoff and until you face a team like Ohio State. But when you play a team like Ohio State, like behind Kool-Aid, like, I, I do wonder I do wonder what this unit's going to look like. Eli Ricks has obviously been banged up. Um, the returns on him, I think, have been a little mixed, which have been surprising, but I do wonder if that cornerback room is going to improve throughout the year. Cause I, I think it will need to, to be ready for the playoffs. Yeah. I, I, I continue to go back to, to seasons like 2018 when I think about, you know, narratives similar to this one involving Alabama and that 2018 team coming into Tua's first season as the starter and, you know, the offensive firepower and, uh, really across the board talent and they got hit with some injuries at some key spots corner being one of them Trayvon Diggs went out midway through that 2018 season they never fully recovered from that lost some edge pass rush um, throughout that season and by the time they ran into the buzzsaw from Clemson it was a little too much uh, to overcome in that particular scenario so it's a long season Alabama found that out firsthand uh, a year ago, obviously. Now, typically you think of Alabama, you think of a lot of programs with five-star impacts and, you know, those positions where that might occur. And maybe that'll happen for this Alabama team, but not to say that Jaheim Otis was overlooked during the recruiting process because at 400 plus pounds, I don't think you could <laughs> miss him, but I see he is on your preseason true freshman, all American team from 24 seven sports Dot com. It it seems as if that buzz we've been picking up locally on the beat has uh, made its way out to you as well. Yeah, I've heard some I've heard some really nice things about Jaheim Otis. I think he's down what like seventy pounds this last yeah. last number I heard, which is which is crazy impressive on its own to lose seventy pounds in that short of time. But he was always like even at four hundred pounds, he carried that four hundred pounds really well. Uh, I remember talking to Cooper Patagna about this, one of our national analysts, and he was showing me film, and he did not look like a 400 play, pound, play, pound player. And I think what intrigues me about Jaheim the most is like he is a really good pass rusher um, on the inside. That's something that Alabama's kind of lacked in that nose tackle position, somebody who can truly penetrate up the middle since maybe Quinnen Williams was on campus. And I, I don't... I don't think he'll start right away, even though I know he's gotten a lot of reps with the ones um, during this fall. But I think if you're talking down the line this season, he is the type of player as a rotational piece or maybe even eventually the starter who can wreck a couple games just because of his ability to penetrate on the inside and to push the push the pocket back. So I, I, I'm really excited to watch Nimotis. I think I think he's a really special and unique talent for his size. And I think he'll be a really key piece for Alabama this year. And as we wrap up with you, Chris, I got to get into some Heisman-related discussion. I wanted to ask you about a potential scenario where if it plays out this way, 
how much different the voting could look this time around as compared to a year ago. Let's say that Bryce Young and Will Anderson both essentially duplicate their respective production from a year ago. And that was obviously enough for Bryce to win the Heisman Trophy in 2021. How much different, though, might that play with Will Anderson in 2022 as compared to a year ago? Because we know a lot of times your candidacy is built largely on what you did the previous year. In other words, familiarity with Will Anderson is going to be much greater going into this season than it was a year ago. If they duplicate their numbers from a from last season, what do you think that that voting sort of looks like? And that's before we talk about CJ Stroud and obviously some some very capable candidates elsewhere. Yeah, I mean there's a reason why Archie Griffin's the only two-time Heisman winner. It's it's nearly impossible to do it twice. Um I think voters get fatigue, frankly. Um, and they don't want to vote for the same person twice. Um, so I think if both players replicated their seasons, I think Will Anderson would get the majority of the votes. I think Will Anderson should have won last year. He would have had my vote if I had one. Um, and I think given the way we've seen the college football media move, I think a slightly more accepting of defensive players and non-quarterbacks winning the award, Will Anderson would get the majority of the votes, at least between Bryce and Will Anderson, I think voters would be inclined to give Will Anderson his due and his praise after Bryce won it last year. Interesting stuff, as always, from Chris Hummer, national college football writer for us at 247sports.com. I felt like we may have peaked at the Austin discussion right out the gate, <laughs> but, you know, we tried to sustain. We tried to go the full 60 minutes, I thought, Chris. I, You know, I, I, I'm like you, though. I could have talked barbecue, tacos, music, Sixth Street, you know, uh, anything Austin related for for the full for the full time of the podcast. Yeah, man. Honestly, I feel like like I really persevered. I think I was very <laughs> hungry talking about the Austin food scene. Like, and then we had another like twenty minutes to go. So I think the fact that we pushed through that after <laughs> discussing barbecue really means we're at the top of our games, Travis. Oh man, maybe the off season conditioning paid off after all, Chris. <laughs> you know. Because I know we're both, we're just both, we're like Josh Pate. We're just absolute workout warriors, you know, and we, it, it shows on both of us. But no, in all seriousness, <laughs> hey, can't thank you enough, Chris. Look forward to hopefully catching up with you out in Austin. And who knows, maybe we'll have to, to update the, uh, the travel guide for uh, Alabama fans before that, before that game takes place on September the 10th. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. There you go. Chris Humber, national college football writer for us at 247sports.com. Always enjoy catching up with Chris. Be sure to catch his great work. So much good stuff on really a daily basis from Chris. And so uh, he's been with us a number of years now and and just a critical piece to the success of 247sports.com. Travis Schreier, thanking you for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast. And until next time, so long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better 
Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 